So I'm looking in here. There it is. My dad would often say part or maybe half of fixing something is having the right tools. I've always had the mentality that if you can't fix it, you just need a bigger hammer. I mean, eventually you just break it and go buy another one. But this is one of these tools, and I've asked for tools to be brought in, and uh, some of you have brought some really uh, obscure things, and I've got some that I'm still trying to work how they're going to make, make it into the message. But this one I think fits very well. This came uh, on loan from Dan Brown. Um, and I'm going to ask if anybody other than Dan knows what it is. If you notice in here, it has a screwdriver inside of this little, probably 10 millimeter, knowing Hondas. I'm helping you on that, and you can make a turn here and make an adjustment there. This is a tool to adjust valves on, was it for a Honda, Dan? I'm looking, where'd you go? In, any car that has that right size. So, um, And as I confirmed with Dan uh, this morning, because my suspicion was he bought it for a one-time occasion. Did what he needed to do. If it had been Cliff, he got it so messed up he had to take it to a mechanic then to actually fix it. But then the tool quickly went into his toolbox, and there it stayed. Well, the passage that we have from James today tells us that your faith is not a tool that should be locked away in your tool cabinet. That your faith, although not everybody needs a valve-adjusting tool, because not everybody wants to try to do that, but everybody needs to have their heart adjusted. They need to have their faith tool applied to say, this is the Savior, Jesus Christ. He's come to offer you forgiveness. He's come to offer you salvation. If you'll only change your heart, trust in Him, and begin this life with Him. So we find today that uh, this little book of James continues to test us and continues to test the validity of our faith. Um, considered by some to be the heart of the book, what we're reading from today it tests the validity of your faith because a living faith is a working faith. And today you'll find that a faith, a working faith, produces action. A faith that works produces action. Let me just call out the elephant in the room. At first glance, many find joy in the fact that they think the Bible contradicts itself. That Paul talks about faith and faith alone. I think the Latin is sola fidea. That's about two or three words I know in Latin. That was two of them right there. I just wasted on you, Jack. Thank you. Jack is the Latin scholar here. Um, but you'll find that, that Paul and James are not in conflict. They complement each other. So let's just look. Here, here's that yeah, you can skip. I, I got a little fast on you guys. Go to this first slide. This is the one that most people will go, oh, but Paul said, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then in what we'll read today, I think James 2.14 is probably the next slide I have up there. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? The Greek word is ergo or that's where I think we get ergonomics from. 
a workable chair that you can work in, is the word for work. If someone has faith but has no deeds or no works, can such faith save them? Hmm. In its simplest terms, and this is how I often have to approach things so I can communicate to everyone and as it communicates to myself, Paul is focused on before you knew Christ, how do you stand before God justified only through faith? And then James is looking after conversion, after the faith has come into your life. Did you take that faith and stick it in the toolbox and do nothing with it? Or did you get that tool out and go adjust everybody's valves you could finally possibly find and constantly kept your own going? So, you'll find that it's not Paul versus James, it's Paul and James. Because look at these Pauline epistles. I'm just trying to build the platform here. The next one. Galatians. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's faith in action, expressing itself through love. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Not live it in a, in a box or in a corner of a room. Next, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ Jesus you are serving. Both will go on to quote, and you'll see it in a bit, uh, Genesis 15, 6. Did I put that one in there too? Abraham believed the Lord, and he, was credit, and it, he credited it it to him as righteousness. Those of you, we'll talk briefly about Abraham in just a bit. But Paul sees it at the beginning of his faith, and then James sees it as his faith in action when you'll actually talk about uh, Abraham and Isaac. Paul writes, how do you stand before the Lord God? Only through faith in Jesus. That is the root of faith. And then James says, how do you live with that knowledge of faith? That is the fruit of of faith. So I think it's never James or Paul versus each James. It is James and Paul, Paul and James. So let me read for you this passage that closes out the second chapter of James. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed. You think there's a little sarcasm in the scripture there? But does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accomplished or accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's that Genesis 15, 6. 
And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Pray with me, please. Father, today as we consider our faith that we have in you, awaken that faith. If we've become comfortable in our faith, make us uncomfortable. Afflict us with the need to share, with the desire to take the tool of faith, a living faith, a working faith, and share it with the world in which we live. Speak to us in this hour, for I ask it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Dim the lights and let's watch this little video. I am a furniture maker. I guess you could say I've been a furniture maker all my life. I was born into a furniture-making family. My father was a furniture maker. His father was a furniture maker. It's in my blood. <laughs> what would you say you love most about being a furniture maker? <laughs> what don't I love? Um, the smell. That aroma when you when you enter the workshop of walnut and heart pine and oak. It's the smell. It's the smell of potential. You know, like I like to just take a piece of wood and and and, and work with it and just dream. You know, what's this what's this gonna be? You know who is this table or this desk or this chair going to belong to someday? What would you say is your very favorite, you know, out of everything that you've done, what is your favorite piece mm. of, of furniture? Mm. 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 Um, I'm sorry? Um, I said, uh, you know, out of everything that you've made, what's your favorite piece of furniture? Well, I, I actually have never made a, a piece of furniture. What, uh, like, you've never made anything? A chair or a table or, you know... Mm ashtray? No. How long did you say you've been doing this? Oh, 18 years. Okay, so in 18 years, you're telling me you've never made a single piece of furniture? Oh, look, I mean, furniture making is, is so much more 
than just producing things. Okay, it's 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 a way of life. Okay, this, this is this is my identity. This is what I grew up on. I mean, this is what I've invested in. That's what I that's what I think about. It's what I dream about. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. It's just it seems like if you're going to call yourself a furniture maker, that you maybe should have made a piece of furniture. <laughs> well, I didn't know we had a. <laughs> An expert in furniture making here. And I am proud of what I do. I will tell the world. Nay, I will shout to the world. I am a furniture maker. So I know it's a little bit long, and, and uh, I've watched it now so many times. I don't know if it's good the fifth time as I watched it the first time. But I would challenge you to, you know, you can watch our sermons or listen to the sermons online. You can watch them on, uh, the church has a, a link to it. Uh, we actually have a YouTube channel, and I'm not trying to do that to promote you, you know, skipping church and, and watching it at home. But if you watch that video with the context of thinking how church people talk about Christianity, well, my grandpa was a preacher. My mother taught Sunday school. I love to go to church. I just love the smells, but what have you done for your faith? Mm. James tells us that a faith that works produces action. But for many of us, as he is in this section, he says, you have only a ornamental faith. An ornamental faith. Now, this week I have asked everyone, I even asked Pierce and Dan when they came in my office today, because I had this idea that would be the best way to com communicate what he's talking about in dead faith and demon faith and basically useless faith, uh, faith is the three types of faith that he talks about in these verses. And I said, imagine if I had an apple tree in my front yard and it never produced an apple. Would it still be considered an apple tree. I could call it a pear tree. Never produced a fruit. Yes, DNA, and that was the argument I had to go with my kids. Yeah, DNA, you cut the tree and probably give it to the right biologist. It is an apple tree. It's just never produced anything. And then Dan reminds me that he has an ornamental pear tree. And my mother and father and sister uh, planted ornamental pear trees on our property that separates us. I grew up beside the cemetery, the, the city cemetery. Dad had like a two-acre lot, but it was right next to the cemetery, and the cemetery kept encroaching on our property. <laughs> no joke. So he finally put a hedge up, and that was the bane of my existence when I was in high school because I had to trim it, I had to rake it, I had to do all these things. I never did it well enough for him. By the time I left, got married, went off, they cut it all out, burned it, or whatever, and then planted these pear trees, you know, these ornamental pear trees. Beautiful trees that produce nothing. James is saying that many of us have a faith that is just for looks. It's ornamental. Read again, verse 14. What good is it my brethren or brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? 
If you have King James, one of the uh, big omissions is the Greek article that should say such or like faith. Uh, King James leaves that out and it really makes it even more of this argument for those that say James and Paul are in disagreement. If you read it, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can faith save him? But it's such faith. In other words, he's saying, if this is all you do with it, can that or does that save you? He paints the picture of a fellow believer, a brother or sister in the faith who's hungry, who's naked. And in Jewish culture of the day, if you were seen outside without an outer garment, it meant you were a day laborer or someone who was working with their hands. And if you didn't have that outer garment and weren't working, it implied your low level in the socioeconomic ladder. And he says, if you tell that person, go be fed, go be well, I love you, like I talked about last week, and don't do anything in action towards them, your faith is dead. Yesterday I attended a church summit sponsored by Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Holotus House of Neighborly Services that helps feed the hungry in our community. We have taken food donations for them. We have given monetary donations to them. They will actually pay the power bills of people who have lost jobs and cannot make the lights stay on or help keep the lights stay on. And we brainstormed about ways that our community could help one another, can help those who are in need. And, and we talked about everything from upcoming blood drives to a uh, food bank distribution, one of those you see like on the news where 200 or more drive by. We talked also about how to help by giving perhaps shoes this fall. Instead of, you know, many churches give backpacks full of uh, pencils and stuff. How about a new pair of shoes for a kid to go to school or a gift card to go to some pay less or some shoe store like that? So it was a good opportunity. And if you're interested in ever volunteering a couple of hours, it's across the street now at the Lions Club uh, building, I think, and that's where Pierce and, and, and I uh, went uh, a few uh, weeks ago for the dedication. That was back in January. It's longer than that. But the story is that we are to be involved helping one another. And I know the story of Helotus. We often think it's a more affluent neighborhood or, or community that they don't have hungry people. They don't have people who can't pay their bills. Well, thanks to a year of corona, of the virus, there are many people who have struggled. There are many. The man I sat next to told me he had not worked in 14 months. And he was involved in helping feed the homeless. I, I was just amazed as, as he shared his testimony with me. And this was, Pierce and Dan know, this is a four-hour meeting on a Saturday that I was ever so excited to go to. But I left and I told him, thank you for sharing your testimony with me. You touched my heart. He told me about his conversion. He told me about what he's been doing and how he's collecting little bags that have, you know, sanitary products as well as uh, a little snack bar or something that when he sees a homeless person, he can give that to them. We heard one preacher, and we all had a little opportunity to preach, and that, you know, how long that can go. You get 10 preachers an opportunity to preach, you'll be there for four hours, maybe longer. But one of them talked about, you know, we teach our children not to talk to strangers, and, that, and that's safe, and that's a good thing to do in our generation. But we as Christian, adult Christians, need to reach out and talk to strangers and find out what their needs are, where their hearts are, and share with them the good news. Ornamental faith will never do that. James goes on to say that 
if you know who, well, let me just read the verse for you. Um, helps me put glasses on, sorry. Showing me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. He talks about demon faith then. In other words, if you remember in, in Mark and in Matthew when Jesus came and encountered with the man who's possessed by uh, multiple demons, the demons challenged or at least begged Jesus, say, cast us into those pigs. Do something. Set us free from him. Let us go somewhere else and torment somebody else. So even the demons recognized who Christ was. And there are many people, that's the limitation of their ornamental faith. They recognize who Christ is, but they've done nothing with that faith. James sarcastically says, good. You got the faith of a demon. Here's a big name, Soren Kierkegaard, 1800s uh, philosopher, writer, um, preacher, theologian, um, existentialism, um, that, of course, in seminary class, and some of you probably had to read him or did read him, but he uh, wrote parables, and part of it, uh, in, in, I'm sure uh, in Denmark, he must have seen geese, and, and when we were stationed in England, we saw swans and geese, at the, and I think you can go to Bernie, don't they have have them up there, you can feed them. And there are these tame geese that never fly. They go around quacking and flapping, but they don't do anything. And he wrote two different parables talking about wild geese versus tame geese and how many of us as Christians become tame geese. We walk around talking about it, flexing our wings, but we don't ever get out and fly. And the third parable that he wrote that I really enjoy, maybe you've heard it in church before, he wrote one <coughs> about ducks. I'll read it for you. Every Sunday, well, let me back up. I'm quoting exactly from him. There's a town where only ducks live. Every Sunday, the ducks waddle out of their houses and waddle down the main street to their church. They waddle into the cathedral and squat in their pews. The duck choir, probably led by the duck music leader, the duck choir sings and the duck pastor comes and reads from the duck Bible. And no, we're not talking about Duck Dynasty. I know some of you are already thinking about the beard. He encourages them, ducks, this is the duck preacher, ducks, God has given you wings. With those wings you can fly. With these wings you can rise up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings and you can fly like birds. And all the ducks quack and shout, amen. And then they waddle home. He writes, we were not born to live in an ordinary existence, meaningless. We have been given gifts, abilities, untapped potential, intelligence, energy, passion, and dreams to live in an extraordinary life because of the faith we have in Jesus Christ. And if you feel that your faith is ornamental or decorative only, draw from the living water. Let the Spirit of Christ nurture that ornamental tree of yours and turn it into a tree that bears fruit for him. Rise up and live out this final point, an authentic faith. And I'll try to be quick on this. I, I know you're familiar with the story of Abraham. Uh, James gives two examples, uh, Abraham and then also uh, Rahab. 
Abraham, you know the story, very old. He and his wife are beyond childbearing age. God says, hey, I'm going to give you a son. And and besides that, not only are you going to have a baby, your children are going to be as multiplied like the stars in heaven. You're just going to see generation and generation come after you. And because Abraham believed that, that was that verse we read, he was considered righteous in God's eyes because he believed, he accepted the faith. And then about 12 years later, Abraham is challenged by God to go take that boy, that only son at that time, that only child he had, and sacrifice him unto the Lord. And I'm sure you've heard sermons, and I've preached sermons about it. But quick ending, as he was faithful to what he was told to do, an angel stopped him, grabbed his hand, that bore the knife that he was going to sacrifice his child. And James says, that was his faith in action. So he says, you want to see faith in action? Consider Abraham. Consider Rahab, a prostitute, that when the children of Israel were getting ready to spy out Jericho, they went to a prostitute's house because they probably would not be noticed. They went in there. She, she realized very quickly uh, that because of the, I think she, she says, the, the countrymen are melting in their fear of you and of the Israelite God. And she allows them to escape and even helps them find a different way. And for that, as you know, the rest of that story, her family, her house was spared when the children of Israel came in. A faith in action. A person, even at the beginning of faith, understanding who God was, the power of God, and placed their faith in Him. So, what does it mean to have authentic faith? What does it mean to act in faith? Well, as I pondered that this this week, after you have received the gospel, after you have considered your sin and and placed your faith in him, what does authentic faith mean? And I started listing the things that Baptists would say. Going to Sunday school. Going to church. Norse, tithing. Say amen, Norse, tithing. And I knew you would. (laughs) Witnessing, discipleship, daily prayer, Bible study. Do you think that's authentic faith? Yes, 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 all that is yes, and more. Because James says, be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. He says, look at the orphan and the widow and take care of them. He says, keep yourself from being polluted by the world. He says, don't show favoritism. Love your neighbor. Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Withhold your judgment. Be merciful as you have received mercy. I might sum it all up and say, get involved in missions because that is where the rubber meets the road. Finding the need and meeting the need of the place and places you go. Now, I know I'm right at 12 and I promised one more Mike video. One of your favorite movies. I think the last time we came to visit, it was on pause on the big screen in the room. Um, I don't know if I should set it up or not. Let me just let you... uh, No, let me... I'll back up. Could you imagine having the car of your dreams... Any car you possibly could want. 
I mean, money's not an object. And if you had that car of your dreams, would you park it in the garage or would you drive it? I got this new truck and I started not putting miles on it. And Nick said to me one day, he says, Dad, are you still my father? I mean, maybe not exactly like that. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you always said you buy them to drive. You don't buy them to look at. I mean, you want to look at them. I mean, that's how you tell if a guy or gal likes their car. When they're walking away from it, if they turn back and look at it again. They really like that car. Or it really did a good wash job. So here's a car that was so coveted by so many people because it was in a movie that most of us have seen at one time or another. Here we go. Mike's one of Mike's favorites. Our big problems in doing a chase as dangerous as this on the streets. The things that we did in the streets with automobiles, I don't think will be done for a long, long time. The bullet car chase scene's legacy is every car chase scene that has come after it in cinema. Best chase scene ever filmed. It started it all. Iconic doesn't even begin to tell it. Peter Yates, the director, and the queen were was determined to do this car chase sequence on the streets of San Francisco, and people hadn't seen that before. You really felt what it was like to be driving this Mustang. Between Steve McQueen being the coolest guy and driving the coolest car, to go and sit in the theater and see this thing on the big screen, it was pretty amazing. The Bullet Mustang is an uncluttered piece of art. It was just oozing cool. That seems to be the movie car that everybody knows. After the filming, someone on the lot first bought the thing. People saw it, it was used as a daily driver for a while, and then it just disappeared. It hasn't been seen in 30 years or more. A lot of people skeptical that the car even exists. This is a car that was a star in its own right. And if it's out there, it would be a cultural and automotive treasure. I've never told anybody outside of my family what I'm about to tell you. My dad happened to buy a bullet when he was 25 years old. He drove it. I mean, it was their family car. Wherever we went, the car went too. It was part of us. Our goal was to always show the car to the world. At one point, somebody broke in the barn, stole the air cleaner, took pictures of the car, and we had to go underground. We had to cover it up. I have kept the secret that I even know the existence of Bullet my whole life. We did not want anything to happen to this car. It was always for the good of Bullet, but everybody likes to form their own opinion. Rumors that we were just selfish and arrogant, talking horrible about a family they've never known are extremely tough for me. There's so much attached to this car. It's my goal to tell the story, set it straight. The time's now. I try to focus on doing it for the right reasons, doing it for my family, and letting the public see the car. It's raw and it's real and you know it as soon as you see it. I want a lot of people to get that feeling. The bullet Mustang is synonymous with freedom. There has been anticipation building for not just years, but decades. I think this is a whole new chapter. It's for all of us. So you have been given a priceless tool. Don't lock it away. You, did you notice at the beginning they said we wanted to share it and then they put it away and people stole it and pieces off of it and they made them more afraid. 
Our God is in the restoration business. When you expose your faith to other, others, there perhaps will be some kickback, some blowback. But God will be there to strengthen you. Norris and I just had a conversation. There was a time when he said a lady asked him, are you the one that God sent to speak to me? And he said, well, I don't know. But he said, the next thing I know, I started talking and God gave me the words to say to that lady. Don't lock your faith away. Don't wait 50 years. And I will tell you, they sold that last year for 4.3 million. We have a priceless tool, Jesus Christ. Stand with me, please, and examine your hearts and turn any ornamental faith into authentic faith. Let's pray. Lord, as we come now to a time of invitation, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. If we've been guilty of just walking the walk and never, or talking the talk and never walking the walk, or, or Lord, we just like to talk about it and we seldom do anything for you. Let us change our ways. Reignite in us the love, the enthusiasm the knowledge that we serve a risen Savior. And in this moment, Lord, if there's someone who's never come to know Jesus, I pray that they would step out. The doors of the church are open. We'll pray with them. Maybe they just want to come to these uh, stairs and, and kneel and pray or stand and pray. Lord, we're here. But let them know that this is a time of invitation. This is a time to respond to the spoken word, to your word, to James's challenge to have a faith that works. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.